Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring the Score podcast, the podcast where we offer our opinions on film scores and the films they're inspired by. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Let's get started. Welcome to another episode of Measuring the Score. I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. And this is another bonus episode. This is great. I love these. I like the bonus episodes also. Well, which one is better? The bonus episodes or the regular episodes? I like them all. (laughs) I don't discriminate. Somebody's biased. (laughs) (laughs) So our last bonus episode, I didn't do this. I wanted to do it for this episode. Um, We're just going to talk about it real quick because we, we have guests today. Uh... Leslie, what have you been listening to? Anything, any scores or anything? No. I? Not really. No? I recently, <laughs> I, I recently listened to the uh, Dune score by Hans Zimmer. And as I'm talking, our guests are just making a bunch of different, you know, so I, I've got to hurry up and talk about this. But yeah, I just recently listened to the Dune score. And I got to say, I, I was very disappointed. Yeah, it was, it was not... You know, I'll scratch that off my list of things to listen to. Then, yeah, it's 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 not the biggest thing in the world. It's it's. Not. You were also speaking about the Twister score. You were just listening. Yes, I did listen to the Twister score, which will be on season two. I'll go ahead and announce that one now. Yes, it will be on season two. So it's gonna be great. So without further ado, yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, I want to welcome our friends Mark and Joe from the Digital Dissection Podcast. Hey, guys. Hello. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, it was a, it was a tame introduction. We've been doing this whole time. You've been trying to talk and run your show. <laughs> you know, the music just kind of burns inside of me. Okay, Chris and Leslie, you guys know that. I mean, that's, it's hard to contain that beast. So We all know rhythm uh, is a dancer. Exactly, oh, Mark. <laughs> we'll a dancer, it, a dancer is a an overweight Filipino man. So. <laughs> he's so, not. Yeah, Elton, thank you. Thank he's you. not Elton John's definition of tiny dancer. Though. No, <laughs> <laughs> unless he was being sarcastic, like uh, not sarcastic, ironic that whole time. <laughs> I'm going yeah. with ironic. <laughs> or Joe, in the spirit of us creating words, it could be like irastic. Yeah. <laughs> Full on irastic. Yep, definitely. Yeah, definitely. A little bit of everything. So Mark and Joe had us on for their um, Firefly week, which was, uh, Mark, I believe yeah. you said it was a very stressful week for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think all of us on the show aged a good 10 years uh, after that week because... Uh, I mean, it was just herding cats and then uh, arranging content, and um, but it was a celebration of Firefly. We loved yeah. it, and yeah, it was, really it was happy all Firefly, we, we all Serenity, and afterwards, lots of Serenity. Now, yeah. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> we had so much fun. We we wanted to invite mm-hmm. you guys on um, for the, our episode talking about planes, trains, and automobiles because this episode will be released during the Thanksgiving season. So why not do a Thanksgiving movie? Yeah, and, absolutely. Hopefully yeah. none of us have to try renting a car to make this happen because 
<laughs> we may not get to our destination. No. Nope. Nope. <laughs> so yeah, real I, quick, I have no, oh, yeah, go ahead. no cigarettes. I have no cigarettes near me because I don't want to have anything accidentally <laughs> catch fire. Uh, I've been smoke free though, smoke free for a long time. So we're good. We're not, so has Chris? Yeah, Chris yeah. has been smoke free for a long yeah, time. Yeah, I've been smoke free for over ten years now. Stay so, strong. Yeah. Stay strong. <laughs> All right, Sorry. so guys, real quick, uh, tell us, tell our listeners about your podcast and where you're available and everything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So our our podcast is about um, all things nerdy. So basically, um, movies, TV, video games, pod, uh, other podcasts. Sometimes uh, we will talk them, shout them out, just like our friends here on uh, measuring the score. But uh, comic books too. So we kind of really thrive in the areas that we were growing up during and uh so like 80s 90s early 2000s uh and we just go back and talk about the stuff that we really loved uh and hopefully give you some new perspective on them yeah and then um during our our inaugural season here we've also kind of uh shifted the narrative a little bit too to invite special guests on that Mm -hmm. um have really spoken to us and so um, we've had, we've had some fun rubbing elbows with folks that are, you know, part of properties that we really enjoy. So it's, uh, it's been a hell of a journey so far. Yeah. You guys are killing it, man. I mean, you, uh, recently just had, uh, who's thank you. The, the voice actor, um, yeah, Kyle bear. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was fantastic. And then, uh, Mark, you tried to get me on for the, uh, for the one, uh, one episode, uh, the, the walking dead guy. Oh, the, oh the, yeah. the, the name is just completely losing me right oh, now. Oh yeah, that's okay. Yeah, Lou Temple. Man. Yeah, Lou Temple. Yeah, and oh, I, yeah, that I, was I, a... I really wanted to be on that episode too because I'm such a fan of his in the movie Unstoppable because it was yeah. every every chance he got, he was slinging that that dually truck around the back, the, back, the back end spinning <laughs> everywhere, and I was just I love that guy. <laughs> and but it, it, you know, especially especially good to have you that night because that was the night the lights went out in Exonia and yeah. our other host. Chelsea may have killed an innocent man. Oh, wow. Him. Okay. Oh. Yeah, it, 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 was, it was interesting. Um, what I will say about him, because uh, the episode will most likely be out by the time this this uh, premieres, yes. is that his his mustache is real and it's spectacular. Oh. So, <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. yeah, Chris grew a spectacular mustache one time for Halloween because he dressed up as Mario. Mm-hmm. And then uh-huh. a day later, he shaved it off. Said it was too itchy. Oh man, it, I'm uh, talking. Full, but it was wonderful, full it was spectacular, bush. full, full mustache. thick mustache, like Tom Selleck. I'm talking, you know, yeah. huge. It was huge, and I was like, I cannot stand this. This has got to go away now. And then right, right when I shaved it, because normally I just have the goatee like I got now, mm-hmm. and I shaved it to the mustache like Mario. I was like, Oh god, I look like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I look just like my dad, and I sent a picture to my mom. And she goes, "Oh no!" <laughs> I was like, "This is gotta go away to quick." Yeah, this is gotta go away quick. But no, right when Mark messaged me about uh, Lou, and I was literally just left work, and I'm like, "Yeah, this is not happening." I'm in the car. This is not gonna work. <laughs> Unless we could call in or something. Like, I can't do this, man. I, I so well, wanted to though. Yeah. If if it means anything. Uh... I'm still chasing down Greg Edmondson. And if he ever responds, I am going to give you guys a call first thing. That would because, be fantastic. Uh, I would yeah, love absolutely. to talk to him, so especially just not for, you know, Firefly, you know, the Uncharted games as well, because those are great <sighs> scores. I, I know we talked mm-hmm. about it on the show, but still. Yeah. Yeah. It's wonderful music. Yeah. So you guys ready? You want to 
just dive into planes, trains, yeah. and automobiles. Let's uh, mm. let's uh, get this boring passes punched and take our <laughs> seats. So normally on the show, we talk about the score first, and then we talk about the film. Now mm-hmm. with this film, it's a little bit different. There's not much score. <laughs> And the score yeah. was not released mm-hmm. formally to the public, so I, I could only find some, you know, snippets on, on YouTube, and mm-hmm. then I could find like the full soundtrack, like a playlist on YouTube, and that was it. And there's not more much as far as you know any trivia about the score or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, it, it, as far as Thanksgiving films go, this is like the top one, so I we had to cover it. So Ira <laughs> uh, Newborn was the composer for this, and Ira Newborn has worked on several of John Hughes' films before this one and after this one. So uh, they worked together mm-hmm. before, um, and really, scores have just escaped me of what he's done. Ferris Bueller's Days Off. That's right, Ferris Bueller. Mm-hmm. Also, the Blues Brothers. That was John Williams. I mean, no. that was John Hughes. Was it? Yeah. Um. So he. Yeah. I mean. He's notable, and you, he's worked with them prior and afterwards. So you would think that there'd be a lot of music to listen to, yeah. and it would be great because it's a John Hughes. No. Mm-hmm. Also, Nothing, yeah, it's just found out he did the Naked Gun. Yes, he's known oh. for the Naked Gun. Yeah, <laughs> which also like the Naked Gun movies have like a pretty like prominent theme and yeah. score throughout. So I remember like when when you pitched this to us, like the idea of coming on and. I rewatched the movie again, or even like before you watch it, I'm like, I don't remember there being a lot of music in this movie. <laughs> no. Like I remember being like a lot of like you sitting with the uncomfortable and awkwardness that Steve Martin is sitting through through most <laughs> of this movie. And I felt like, I don't know if that was intentional, but it's like, yeah, there's plenty of times like he's sitting here, he's uncomfortable, he's mad and you're stewing with him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the thing that I think really uh, kind of stuck out to me on this was that when you look at a lot of uh, popular films that either are just um, like around the holidays or, or they're just iconic from this era, they do tend to have, you know, some kind of music that's like instantly recognizable for that movie. Right. And mm-hmm. whether it's an original song or whether it's just, there's something that is that, that moving and that, I don't know, like that easy to consume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can just think of like, um, like Beverly Hills cop ghostbusters back to the future. I mean, every one of those has something yep. where that happens to you. And so with this movie, it, that never really happened no. at any point. There's not music where I go, oh yeah, it's playing trains and automobiles, you know, and <laughs> I, I don't know. There, well, there's like Correct this, me if I'm wrong. Yeah, well, there's like this running motif uh, really with the score. Bluesy. It's yeah. like a blues, almost, you know, yeah. guitar, old country sounding. It kind of makes me think of the movie Tremors every time I hear it. it same with Leslie. <laughs> oh, <and> Kevin Bacon <laughs> yeah. is in it too. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah this, mm-hmm. is, this is before Tremors. This is when Val was in the city and everything before he moved to perfection. That's what happened. It was before the worms. Oh, he met with worms. Steve Martin and the, you know, mm-hmm. oh, excuse me, Neil Page. <laughs> yes, yes. And then he thought, you know what's better than the city and the city life? Ranch and ostriches. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm going to go and do. <laughs> and emus. Yes. And emus. And emus. <laughs> Don't yeah. forget about the mystic emu. <laughs> and then he's, he's chasing after. The Australians will never forget. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm going to say for retirement plans, the only thing I could think of is move out into the country and eat me a lot of peaches or <laughs> farm. Yeah, those are the two things you do. Yeah. But, you know, sorry, 
<laughs> there is a, a running thing here between Kevin Bacon and Steve Martin. So, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you see them. Mm -hmm. But this was filmed right after she's having a baby. And so, you know, she uh, uh, Kevin Bacon was in She's Having a Baby. Uh, John Candy uh, had a cameo in She's Having a Baby. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, it was flipped. So it, it throughout the movie, you'll see references, just indirect references to She's Having a Baby. Uh. It's amazing. It's almost like it's in the same universe. And he's kind of dressed at the very beginning the same way as he was dressed and she's having a baby. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I so I guess it's in the John Hughes verse. Yes. <laughs> That's what we were the talking universe. about. The, the multiverse of John yeah, yeah. Hughes. The multiverse of John Hughes. Uh, yes. She's having a baby and planes, trains, and automobiles are connected. Oh, you know, like the house kind of looks very similar to the Home Alone house, you know? Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I got that same vibe, Mike. Yeah. Is this a McAllister home? And, <laughs> got, and yeah. the and, old man that sits next to him on the plane in coach also appears in Home Alone as the guy that they barter with to get on the plane that's to go back home. Right. So it's a John that's Hughes right. multiverse. Yep. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, and also, all right, so it was Home Alone 2. It was um, the old man Duncan's toy chest also appears in the movie uh, Baby's Day Out, which is also a John Hughes movie. Oh, no way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, it's all connected. Yeah, yeah the whole it's all thing. connected. It's all connected. <laughs> you know, it's just like... Yeah, so we it. thought Marvel was ambitious. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. They got nothing no. of John Hughes, buddy. <laughs> Kevin Feige, you were just Bush League, man. You're Bush League compared to John Hughes. <laughs> He's <laughs> years ahead of, of time. So, <laughs> right off the bat, I mean, it has... I've watched this movie, God, I really don't know how many times. And... Every time I watch it, it's one of those movies is every time you watch it, you always find something new. Mm -hmm. Every time. And like, all right, the scene where uh, John Candy and Steve Martin, uh, John Candy's holding him and they're sleeping. They're sleeping in the same bed. John Candy is like kissing his ear. Yeah. He's and slowly kissing on his ear. And he, he's, him, he is getting, he's like, Dell, why are you kissing my ear? Why are you holding my hand? I never paid attention that he was kissing his ear. When I saw it, I busted out laughing. I'm like, did he just kiss his ear? I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, you, you don't need a blanket in that bed. That's for sure. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with you completely. Because what I found myself doing was watching uh, John Candy's hands the entire time uh, throughout this movie. Because seriously, like he plays the role of someone who you know maybe hiding a secret or maybe he's uneasy and so right. if you watch his hands it's definitely there like he's he's not just a comedian in a comedy you know he's he's actually playing with some layers here yeah you know uh, the, the first time watch. you watch that movie you see that especially when it came out we were kids so it was very you could see the comedy immediately but when you're an adult mm -hmm. and you go back and you watch that movie and you can see the layers you've got this one pretentious man that uh, it's played by Steve Martin's character that obviously doesn't stay at home all the time. You know, he's work consumed. He's a grumpy man. Um, he's pretentious. You know, he's uptight. And then you've got this other fellow, you know, that hadn't been home. The death of his wife apparently was so traumatizing to him Boilers. that he um, really... After all these years, okay. <laughs> but the death of his wife was so traumatizing to him that, you know, he's just been in limbo for eight years. And you start seeing these layers behind, uh, which John Hughes is a master of that, if you watch any of his films. But uh, 
you don't pick that up right away until you start watching the movie and get past the comedy. Because, you know, the comedy mm-hmm. is like, as my teacher in English used to say, peeling the onion. You start peeling the onion layers back. <laughs> yeah, to get to the core issue. Like, like an ogre. <laughs> you know, it, it does kind of feel like uh like uh an underhanded kaiser soze moment when you kind of, when he puts it together that like yeah he said some things to me that nobody probably picked up on that indicates that he's got nowhere to go for thanksgiving you know right mm-hmm. uh and uh so i thought that was funny but before we get too far away from it speaking of john hughes being ahead of his time ahead of the mcu you know this movie has an end credit scene right yes 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 i i still it it, like one day we're watching this during the holidays we're like all talking and drinking and eating and having fun and we just let the credits roll (laughs) and then we got to the end i'm like this movie has an end credit scene (laughs) ferris bueller is the same way if you watch ferris bueller you know the very end there's an end scene with him in the shower and you're like yeah yeah wow you know Mm -hmm. after seeing credit nowadays you know you you stayed purposely to see if there's uh you know a scene after the end of the credits but it goes back to john hughes being ahead of his time yeah Uh, i loved it too because it's it totally plays off of what happens early in the movie i don't want to ruin it because i want people to actually go and look at this yeah that that is one thing we're not going to spoil so everybody if you if you're curious about this stop the podcast go watch plane stories and automobiles let the credits roll and then come back and finish this yep and before we get too far away i have a question that needs to be answered right away and that is how many Shrek references do two podcasts have to make before one of them finally covers Shrek? Because <laughs> we have also done the ogre and onion layer thing several times, and neither of these podcasts, my large, have actually had the cojones to cover a Shrek movie. Well, we I guess uh, the the ball's in your court, uh, guys. <laughs> and we'll be we'll have you back season two. You just wait. Exactly. We'll Shrek. be on for Shrek, so that's fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, we, we, we both verbally and non-verbally quote better out than in all the time. So, <laughs> you, if, <laughs> you, can't, you can't see it. It's a podcast, but trust me, it's there. It's there. It's there. Well, Actually, I think every podcast cover, you know, does that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. So... The toilet humor can't escape me. It's just a. Uh, it's, oh, it's, it's fine. It's my cologne. It's, it's my funny. cologne. I'm emanating it. See, oh, this gosh. is why this is a bonus episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We should, you should do measuring the score after dark. <laughs> measuring the score unhinged. Unhinged. Yeah. Or at the unhinged. very least, we have an end credit scene after the podcast. <laughs> so yeah. let's go to the very beginning of the film, and there is a score piece called Rush Hour. So, you know, as we mentioned, the score begins. um, Yeah, I'm sorry, Chris. I know I keep drifting away from the microphone. She has this thing where it's like, and and I'm going to talk. Oh, I'm sorry. And I know I'm doing it. But anyway. It's like a typewriter. You just have to push her back. It's like Dr. Dr. Evil, though. And Dr. Evil keeps swiveling away in the chair. And you're like. (laughs) That's exactly what's going on. I'm steadily moving. Yeah, you see Chris's hand. He's like, come on, wife. Come back closer. (laughs) So anyway. We've got this piece called Rush Hour, and I did listen to this piece. Uh, I, I was able to find it before I watched the movie, and uh, just listening to it, you could tell that you have a city setting. He had some ambient music in the background that was pretty cool mm-hmm. that, you know, mm-hmm. you could hear the cars and the, the, the uh, horns and stuff like that. 
Um, and he had it was a quick beat, so the yeah. the speed of it was really reminiscent of him kind of rushing around. Um, mm-hmm. And you can easily visualize it. And uh, let's see here. That's some up tempo synth is what you got That's going right, on. Synth. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mm-hmm. love the synth for that. It was great, and it was very it, era it, specific. You know? Yeah. Yes. I was yeah. That. Absolutely. You definitely know you're in New York in the '80s when that when that <laughs> yeah. song comes on. Well, but but then they supplement too at times with uh, with like some light symbol action. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know you, you almost get that, like you mentioned with the uh, with the, with the city. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> with the, city. The, the hustle and bustle. You know, I feel like the I don't know if you're going does... for like smooth jazz or Batman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Welcome so to ninety-four-one Gotham. We're going to be listening to some symbols tonight. Uh, Bruce Wayne it, is it, attending a party tonight. Yeah. <laughs> but what or I found is fascinating <laughs> is that when you watch the score piece against the film, you know, and you've got Steve Martin's character trying to get a cab, and he locks eyes with Kevin Bacon's character, who's also trying mm. to get the cab, and then the music starts up. It fits perfect. I think that yeah. it was well done. Uh, yeah. They start rushing around. You start seeing the cars, and you're like, okay, I, you know, he he did a really good job, kind of uh, emoting that, that I am in a rush. This is rush hour. I got a place I got to go. Um, I really liked it, and I liked how they placed it there at the very beginning. And then, of course, you know, you see what happens to Steve Martin. He first <laughs> meets Dell. You know, he <laughs> falls over in the street uh, over Dell's crap. Well, now, all right, so this was this was interesting. Now, it, it, Dale's initials is Dale O. Griffith, dog, D O G. Mm-hmm. I did not even put two and two together until she's looking up trivia. I'm like, oh. Uh-huh. And then John Candy played uh, barf. You know, barf in Spaceballs, yeah. half yeah. Man, half Mog. You know, was he, a dog. Yeah, there's a dog. Yep. I was like, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> See and. And that's something I thought about as a kid was that, you know, when you see how it says dog, mm-hmm. his character does feel like an untrained, you know, lab he does. that just just will not get out of your lap, mm-hmm. constantly licking Covered. you. And so, yeah, it just it's it's uh, it's just a really fun play on that. Yeah. I, I thought it was really good. And did that I'm trying to remember, like, did that happen before that happens before the whole like he sees the other cab? And starts yeah. offering yeah. to pay the other guy, right? right. Yeah, this then is... he, he recognizes yeah. the trunk in the back of the cab as he speeds off. <laughs> yeah, what I find what fascinating yeah. is that as he speeds off, it shows the mud puddle. And I saw something in the mud puddle, and I'm like, what is that in the mud puddle? And then when I was looking at trivia, they said, if you look closely, the shower curtain rings. <laughs> They're left in the mud puddle, and the cab speeds off. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Oh man, I, I love nice this little, movie. you know, nice little. And, and then you, there. you get to the point where mm-hmm. you know Steve Martin finally gets the cab and he gets to the airport, and that's when he's he's trying to look at something. And he's looking at over John Candy's character, and John Candy's reading a book that says "The Canadian Mounted." <laughs> yes, <laughs> that is not appropriate, you know, reading material in an airport. airport. Yeah, <laughs> it, it reminds me of like at that YouTube video of the guy who like prints fake dust covers for his books that are very <laughs> yes. very explicit. Oh, oh yes. Or, and that he just sits and sees like how people react to it. Like John Candy's been doing that since the eighties. You know, I think they were making fun of him too because he's Canadian. So he's sitting there in America yeah. reading a, a book. And then you get one of the most hilarious scenes, and to me in the movie is when he's you know Steve Martin's trying to picture him. He's trying to figure out where, where do I know this guy from. All of a sudden, you get the the cab door 
sitting in the airport and John Candy's character turns and looks all surprised. Like <gasps> he's like, Oh, that's where I know him from. He's the, he's yeah. the guy who it's like that that was actually very genius that John Hughes did, but it also hilarious because <laughs> you just got this cat door just up here out of nowhere and he's like <gasps> yeah yeah it, it's it totally looks like someone who just had a bathroom door opened on him you know like it was it was uh i mean i i, I can't say this enough about john candy not just here but in other movies i, I mean he's it's it's joe and i have talked about this with ghostbusters many times how so people just go yeah that's a comedy and you kind of write it off with john candy it's like yeah he's a comedic actor but man he's not just funny I, I just appreciate him for for his nuance and and for being able to do stuff like that. I mean, uh, he turns it on and off throughout this film, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, that, it's it's honestly a treat just to watch that. They said Steve Martin uh, was convinced to do this film for two reasons, <laughs> and one of the reasons was the scene uh, where he goes to the car lot and you know he starts dropping the f bomb all over the place. Oh my god! That yeah. convinced him to be in the movie. <laughs> and uh, he he really liked that scene. And then the second scene was when they're in the car and the automatic seat is, I'm sorry, Chris, the automatic <laughs> seat, the seat is going back and forth. Mm-hmm. So they said that those two scenes, you know, Steve Martin's like, yep, I'm going to be in the film. And oddly enough, you know, this is his favorite film of all time that he's done. And it was John Candy's favorite that he did. I'm you know, sorry. I'm still away. laughing at the seat mm-hmm. because... He- because <laughs> everybody's been there every, every, especially yeah. in the 80s you, you had those electric seats and they were that, cushy too they were cushy plush velvet, but yet they, you know, they never would sit down right wouldn't work right no <laughs> no they never would work right and then if you get hit the button just wrong you mess the whole thing up and you're sitting there you're steadily playing with it and it was true back in the 80s if you kept mm-hmm. playing with it that much you would break that seat nowadays oh, yeah. it's like yeah it's like near impossible and then, then the seat goes like it's going, it keeps going back, and then it'll go up, and it'll go back, and then like fall backwards on John Candy, and then the whole seat just goes sideways. It's like, yeah, they don't do that. I'm, I, I'm, but yeah, it's like you know that, but you're still laughing the entire time this is happening because you just see Steve Martin so frustrated, and you yeah. feel for the guy, but at the same time, this guy's a jerk. Yeah. Oh well, mm-hmm. I felt for him when you know, John Candy's taking his shoe off <laughs> in, in, in the coach, <laughs> and you're like, "But wait, there's more!" And then he starts taking his sock off, and I'm like, "Oh, oh. man!" He's wafting it. He's yeah, shaking never, it out in front of his another, face. That was another one of those moments I never paid attention to. He's like waving around in his oh, face. My, yeah. oh. oh my god. What about when he was clearing his sinuses, trying to go to bed? Oh, oh if now, I don't do it, I'll choke in my sleep. Do you want me to do that? <laughs> <laughs> obviously would, no but at the same time you it. couldn't think of a better way to do this i will see if if i was in this situation i would get mad but i would not go to the extent like what steve martin did where he's just there's calling him a chatty kathy doll and he's like steadily pulling on the string i was <laughs> oh like my God, i was no. like oh dude you just went no, way too far there, way buddy. too far no i think what you do there is you go and you sleep in the bathtub <laughs> and then get some red dots over your back and claim that the uh the hotel had bed bugs <laughs> yeah this is a true story, by the way, friend of ours. So I was a heftier man back then. And uh, I was apparently sleeping on the floor like a wild beast. I don't and know why you offered to sleep on the floor. There's I, plenty I, of bed space. I was being a gentleman. Anyway, he gets up in the middle of the night and goes and sleeps in the bathtub because I'm being too loud. And then he wakes up with red spots all over his back and says, man, they had bed bugs in this place. And like, we're both going, okay, I slept on the floor. I slept in Joe's other bed. Joe slept in the other bed, and nobody else has bumps, you know. But <laughs> sorry, tangent. But hey, speaking of nightmare oh, fuel Meyer. from a ho- from a hotel, 
the the bathroom scene is one of those sequences <laughs> where we talk about the score and how there's not a whole lot of music. And it's like this is where it's like silence is used to like full effect yeah. when you see these like wet bunched up towels. <laughs> and I immediately, you know, every time I see that, I go from enjoying the film to <laughs> I have anxiety yes. right now. Yes. <laughs> there's water on the like, floor. Or like when he's washing his all over. Like when this. he's washing his face and then he looks down, he's like, What does that smell? And he looks down and sees the socks in the toilet in the sink. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh Yeah, Chris oh. is like, Oh, that's nasty. <laughs> Uh, all right, so oh, no. the subtlety of the score, all right, this is in the same scene, but it's at the very beginning when they first walk in and they're looking around the room and the camera's zooming around. All of a sudden, it goes to the bed. There's no score, but then you get this very subtle 80 synthesized, you know, percussion moment to just, yeah. to, just to signify. Just a second. Oh, it's only one bed. <laughs> and yeah. then they, they, they kind of look at each other. All of a sudden, you get that little percussion hit just again. It's like. Yeah. You know, and I was like. That's very subtle, but at the same time, it works. It works well for the scene. It plays on the comedy. And I was like, that, that's actually pretty, that's pretty genius. Yeah, you'd think that you would have this, this full orchestration or something come mm-hmm. in. And you're right, uh, Mark. They used that silence to play upon the, the anxiety and the comedic elements because, you know, the character's uptight. So he sees this mess. He's a very clean guy and he's got water on the floor, dirty towels already, and it took him two seconds. I mean, he wasn't in the shower that long for him to come in there. And then he walks in the room, and he's got crap on the bed, you know, on the bed stand, spilled <laughs> beer on the yeah, bed. Yeah, he you tells know? the story of spilling the beer, and, you know, and Steve Martin's having to lay in it. I'm like, oh, uh-huh. that's that's bad. So they kind yeah. of oh, But, I mean, up. he was nice enough to let Steve Martin's character uh, pay for the room. Yeah. Yes. Well, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't want to feel like he was imposing. By no, I don't yes. want to feel like I'm a freeloader or anything. <laughs> but then they had this rift that would play. Uh, I would call it a motif for this movie. You know, this mm-hmm. bluesy rift wasn't that long. You didn't see it in many of the scenes, but when you did see it, it was the same blues rift that they played, mm-hmm. and it was really bizarre because it was a mixture between blues and it felt like it had kind of like a. A rock element. It had to almost it. a sad yeah. tone to it. It's just like mm-hmm. it's just like everything's just beaten down. I want to call that that's the theme for Blaine Strange and Automobiles. More like because it, it, it's the one score piece that shows up the most throughout the entire film. Yeah, and whenever it, it plays, you just like, oh no, what happened mm-hmm. now? You know, because yeah, didn't didn't it show up when the the train broke down? Yeah. Yep. Yep. That, that yep. bluesy mm-hmm. that motif right there, and yeah. then it yep. it showed up again when the. Uh, the car was after the car was set on fire and, and the, you see it dragging through the town through the, oh with the, with the tow truck yeah. and it plays again now you know going back to the beginning how the film opened up with that you know synthesized rush hour piece i thought for the longest time that there was a lot of score pieces in there that ira newborn did that was synthesized Come to find out, it was not. It was soundtrack. Yeah, uh, it was one confusing. Of them, oh. One of them was uh, the the Red River Rock song. Yeah, it's I, Red River I Valley. Thought, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it's Red River Valley, but the song is called Red yeah. River Rock. I thought it was the score. And then it was like when I was trying to do research for this episode, I found out that no, that was not the case. It was part of the soundtrack. And that's when I was like, <laughs> this is going to be interesting because there's a lot of pieces in this film that I thought for years were score. Come to find out, it's soundtrack. Uh, one of them being uh, the, the sad moment when... Like like when the the whole part with the bedroom scene where John Candy's you know talking about Steve Martin just blows up on him and then John Candy's talking about you know my wife likes me you know I like me my yeah. my customers like me 
and you get this synthesized you know song playing and you thought mm-hmm. for the longest time i thought for the longest time it was score but come find out it was soundtrack and mm-hmm. you found out some trivia about this right about what about this song it was supposed to be uh elton john right oh yeah so <laughs> sorry <laughs> completely spaced on that one she's just like about what well, I read so much, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, Elton John was originally supposed to write the the music for, or the theme song for the movie. And Paramount Pictures came back and said, uh, you know, he was getting ready to perform it, uh, to send over to them. And uh, Paramount Pictures said, well, we, we, we will gain full rights of the song. You've got to sign this waiver. And Elton John's um, record company was like, no, we can't do that. Uh, so it never happened, and it was never recorded. But yeah, he was slotted to uh, write the theme song for the soundtrack for this movie. I, I'm kind of oh. curious if that would have helped or hurt the film. I mean, because... Yeah. Oh, John's a good writer, mm-hmm. though. You yeah. know, it, it, it may would have fit in, and it may be a little bit more sad. It might would have more tear-jerky, you know, <laughs> effect. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. You never know. Mm-hmm. And then there was a there was another one. Um, it's right before Steve Martin's tirade uh, when he goes off and starts saying the f word to uh, Debbie McClure. That from... was ad libbed, by the mm-hmm. way. She ad libbed her part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. Oh, her, yeah. her her entire thing was ad libbed, where she's like talking on the phone and everything else. And it, you you hear Steve Martin when it's like right when Steve Martin just throws everything down. He's so frustrated. He's like, I'm done. And you know, and you hear mm-hmm. a snippet of him. Saying, you know, you messed with the wrong guy in this like synthesized song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I no. thought that was score. I thought it was like, okay, I knew more and just having fun with it. No, that's soundtrack as well. Soundtrack. Okay. It, it, it's a song and it's like, uh, it says, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles remix. I was like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> and if you play yeah. the song, um, it, it has, you know, little snippets, you know, clear, you know, straight up 80s fashion. You know, little sound bites from the, from the film playing in there. And it's playing in almost like uh, somebody messing with a, with a record, you know, with a turntable, scratching it back and forth. Yeah, but yeah. It, it was a fun song. But I was, it, just, it is. I, I it, thought it, it was a... score for the longest time. Yeah, it's really tricky because you start listening and you hear, you're like, "That's not score." You thought the score was coming in, and you start listening, you're like, "No, that's not score." <laughs> it's, it, it's not score, and it, it actually it, it it's almost disruptive to me because I felt like that was something that really got popular. You know, maybe about five years after this film came out. Like you, you saw a lot of early '90s movies that did this, and uh, or at least you you could hear you know uh, shoehorned in dialogue into music like that. Um, and I, I don't know it, it it like like you guys just mentioned you hear it and you're like what is that? And it, it I went back and rewatched it a couple mm-hmm. times when I was younger because of that. Going what am I listening to right now? Um, and I don't know maybe it's because I I try to follow along with the rest of the music as a book you know like it's telling a story. Mm-hmm. Where really it's, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it really is kind of all yeah. over the place. And even like the whole, like the addition of Steve Martin saying that like, you've messed with the wrong guy. Um, when you have that with this character, I mean, when you have the whole, like, you've messed with the wrong guy comment, you think that there maybe is going to be something that backs that up right. after saying it. But he kind of just continues to get stomped on after that. Yeah. <laughs> because you have, oh, no, go for it. I was going to say it's almost like mm-hmm. the old way because you know in the old the old movies you had a lot of dialogue and there was hardly any music. You would have some mm-hmm. musical pieces in there. Especially if you had the long movies like Gone with the Wind for example and they had like an interlude cuz that movie was like what 4 hours long. And Roughly so that, 2 days. Yeah. 
<laughs> so, you know, there was like an interlude piece and then you'd hear it like sporadic, but there's a lot of, you know, verbal, um, uh, verbal, uh, call and answer, so to speak, you know, throughout the movie. And this was mm-hmm. very similar to that. It kind of reminded me of the old way. And then you had some of this new sense kind of interwoven in there and uh, the soundtrack interwoven in there. But it was mostly dialogue. You didn't hear any of that mm-hmm. to accentuate the scene. They let, it's like he let the characters um, do what the characters were meant to do, be comedians. I think there's only like one scene in particular that comes to my head when, you know, as far as where the score is very predominant. And that's the whole sequence where John Candy gets his jacket stuck <laughs> on the car seat. Oh, yes. And that now, was a score piece. Yeah, that was all score piece. And then this car spins around. Now, first off, who who here has actually gotten their jacket stuck while driving, trying to get it off? I have before. <laughs> Not my jacket, but my pants. Yeah. I... Wait, what? <laughs> so, in in a braver time of my life, when Uh-oh. I used to like bartend and then still try and have a social life, yeah. and I left the bar wearing. Okay, so I used to work also <laughs> at like a a family restaurant slash nightclub in a tourist trap of a town here in Wisconsin, and so I had like black pants and like a Hawaiian shirt, and that's what I had to wear to work. So I was changing out of that. As I was driving to where I was going to like have a party with my friends, and my pants definitely got stuck in transition from my black work pants to my my denim that was trying to get on. I did not did not get into any accident. I I, I think I I gave up and just ended up parking somewhere and taking my pants off Good. and putting new pants on. I didn't just go pantsless and give up. Yeah, I had my hair stuck in the door one time. My hair was longer than this, and I go and I close the door, and my hair got stuck in the door and I'm like I can't move my head <laughs> and I couldn't look you know like left to right because it was like really stuck and wow. I had to find a place to stop so I could open the door real quick you know and take my hair out so I have been stuck in the car also I, I've gotten my jacket stuck one time and, yeah. and when it got I was doing the same thing John Kenny was doing and right when it happened it was only one arm thankfully so I still had my other arm in the steering wheel but the first thing that popped in my head was that scene there where he got stuck. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm going to spin out. And then I'm going to catch the car on fire. And everything's going to blow up. And it's going to be my fault because I wanted to take my jacket off. So finally, I got my arm back. And I'm just like, I'm leaving the jacket on. Yeah, like, <laughs> All right. because of John <laughs> Yeah. So the, the whole sequence, you know, he, he's stuck. And he's trying to drive the car with his legs at one point because both of his arms get stuck. And then the car spins out. And they end up going the wrong way. So you you got this transition where this like uh, I don't I don't want to say it's it's the typical comedy moment where you got the 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 low bass you know horns coming in you know you know just yeah tuba trombone just to play mm-hmm. on the comedy and then the whole sequence where they're going the wrong way and they're realizing they're going the wrong way shift from that tuba comedic moment to this very almost serious sounding moment when you see the two 18 wheelers coming at them yeah, and the, the music swells into this big, and that was, like I said, that was the only real moment that I could think of aside from the blues riff where there was a lot of score in here. And you know, what I think fascinating about that piece is that, you know, you hear the tubas and you know, typically you think <laughs> of the lower instruments when they do comedy, because for some mm-hmm. reason they're supposed to be funny, but then I, <laughs> I, I don't know why. It's an awkward instrument. It's really big. It makes a deep sound. It, you can't. It's, it's funny. I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. he like 
not only that, he took like, I, I could have swore I heard a Barry sax in there and I heard some clarinets, you know, I'm like, well, this is very intriguing because he's got these, this low, you know, brass and then you've got this Barry sax, which is woodwind, but it's low also. And then these clarinets come in and, and then you get the, the full orchestra when the 18 wheelers show up and it sounds like, you know, something from the classic eighties horror film and you're going, yeah, you know. yeah. And he looks over and he sees the devil. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then both of them turn into the skeletons at one point. Yep. <laughs> Great. Oh Great. man, that was uh, th- this whole movie. I swear, there's like so many moments in there. It was just it. It's so ridiculous, but at the same time, it's truly hilarious. Mm-hmm. And the the original plan for this episode, uh, listeners, were we were going to talk about planes, trains, and automobiles, and then we were also going to cover Dutch. Unfortunately, Dutch, in which I, I cannot figure out a reason why, is not available anywhere streaming. Anywhere. Hmm. You can't even find, you can't even buy the DVD anymore. And Mark, I believe you said, your answer was, uh, legally, we can't find it. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, was like, like, I was like, no, I don't want to do that for this podcast. <laughs> it's, like, it's like locked in the Smithsonian. Like, we'd have to go in there, you know, uh, oh, national, like treasure national treasure style. style yep. Yeah. Yeah, like Joe comes up, he's like, hey, what are we doing tonight? And we're like, we're gonna I think, steal we're, Dutch. I, I think we're gonna steal Dutch. <laughs> That's what we're doing, man. We're gonna get in a van. We're gonna go on down to the Smithsonian. We're gonna steal Dutch. Van. That's funny. Uh, very, very good Nicolas Cage impression, by the way, because we couldn't afford him. So, you know, thank you. <laughs> but, it, but, hey, to your guys' point about this, though, you know, I haven't really watched this movie and just listened to the music. You know, when you guys came on and we did the Firefly stuff, like I have sat and appreciated. Where, where a score and where music played a part in guiding you throughout that. Mm-hmm. And when I went back and watched this for this purpose, I mean, it, it did kind of change the way I appreciated this movie in both the comedic sense and what the music was trained to do or the, or the score was trained to do. And it did seem like, um, yeah, the focus was if you were John Hughes, you're like, you know what, let the comedy do what the comedy is going to do. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I don't, I don't need to worry about guiding people to this. They're going to find it on their own. And so, yeah, like the music accents, some of the, uh, the bridge More areas. Intense of the movie. Scenes, yeah. Or I mean, yeah. bridges and tent scenes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So normally on this podcast, what we do, we break it down to three criteria. Uh, you know, does the score work for the film? Well, since, the score, since the film is mainly soundtrack, I, I'm I'm going to change it up a little bit. Since this is a bonus episode, we can do something a little bit different. Now, does the score and does the soundtrack work for the film? Let, let's let's you know the what what little bit of score there is. Does you know in you guys' opinion, does it work for the film? Joe, I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. I I mean, it's. I think like it, we talk about like that that early part in the city where we've got rush hour traffic. He's trying to make his cab. You've got this really really upbeat, intense Sith synth, not Sith. Synth. <laughs> <laughs> Evil on. music. R- wrong yeah. podcast. Wrong podcast. And then whenever something bad happens, you get this um, this slower lower with a with uh score of the banjo coming in. I think the music um works really well as an accent piece to this movie. Where it, it really, I don't want to say drives it home, but like if you need just that little extra, the music does it. Mark? Yeah, I really do think that the 
the music is not really the focus here. You know, the, 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 the score isn't really something that you're going to, you know, basically want to rip and then listen to privately and enjoy it later on. It, it just, I think in, in one of your other episodes, you've mentioned, um, you know, listening to the score of a film with the movie and then listening to it on its own. And then sometimes not even really recognizing that, yeah, this is, this is the same movie, right. you know? And I, I think that happens here where, yeah, if you're listening to the score and even the soundtrack to an extent, um, the, the soundtrack of this movie really fix the position or fixes the position of this film in like hardcore eighties. Yeah. And, and, and for me, I think that's where it gets lost a little bit in that, you know, in the, the iconography of the time, you know, I mean, there's so many films with recognizable uh, themes, like I mentioned earlier on that, um, that I, I think the, the music really isn't the focus of the film, like I said before. And I think it does work where it's, where it's used, but there's so much empty space in this film. I think it could be just as successful without it. So for me, I'm going to go the other way and say, I think it doesn't work for the film because it doesn't need to. There's so much else going on. So sorry, Joe. <laughs> hey, we're fighting I know. on this one. We're fighting on it. That's why we have, you know, more than just us. And by we have, that's why the show has its regular hosts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Leslie. Yes. So, you know, I have said several times before that a good score can either make or break a film. And a score's purpose is to uplift the film. You could have a bad movie, and if you had a good, solid score, then it could make the, the movie tolerable and, and feel better. Likewise, if you had a solid movie and you had a horrible score, it, you know, the, the movie, in my opinion, you know, it, it's not worth watching. Uh, in this instance, I think that the use of the soundtrack in the score and how some of the soundtrack pieces are really kind of disguised as kind of score pieces, because to me, they sound almost the same in instances, as help the movie out. You've got this dialogue and it's really subtle when it comes in. So it hadn't hurt the movie. And uh, they allowed the characters to do what they were hired to do or, you know, Steve Martin and John Candy, what they were hired to do. So I think that in that sense, it does work for the movie because it doesn't take away anything from the movie. Uh, I think that it, you know, adds to the movie in the part like at the beginning, the rush hour scene. You know, you heard the hustle and the bustle of the big city. You know, if you rewatch the movie and try to picture that scene without the, the score, then you would have it would feel empty. So I think it added layers there by adding that score piece there. Uh, to the beginning and of course it added layers to that comedic uh, part where the car catches on fire you know you had that whole that, that whole you know uh, accident scene it added to that so in that respect I feel like it did do its job and uh, it was solid in that instance do I think it was peculiar with some of his choices yes I do you know especially when you had that same motif that was like two seconds it made you want to hear a little bit more but it wasn't there you know that to me was bizarre but besides that i think the score did do its job and did work for the film yeah two to one all right so sorry mark Uh-oh. <laughs> I, I i gotta agree with leslie on this because even even though the score was so sparse and it was the soundtrack was more notable than the score was I don't think you you could have completely taken the score out 
uh, because, for instance, like the whole sequence with the, the you know the cigarette going into the back of the seat, and you know, and the whole truck sequence, and the even though the little blues motif or harmonica or tremors piece, however you want to say it, keeps coming in every so often. Pretty much the theme of planes, trains, and automobiles, even though it's not very long, just for those brief moments, it works. It it, it kind of gives you like a little bit of a relief, but also kind of telling you, hey, something else bad's fixing to happen again. You know, this, the you know, more crap's going to happen to these two guys. And for those couple of moments where there were score, it works. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to say the score definitely does work for the film, in my opinion. So, sorry, Mark, you've been voted out. Hey, it's it's okay. You know, the way I see it is it's kind of like a, a pair of socks with a hole in the bottom. I mean, yes, technically it functions as a sock, but the second the second you step on like a puddle or a rock or something, you know it's there and it's not going away. And so that's that's kind of where I was with this. Mm-hmm. Like it's you know, like in, in a movie like Star Wars, for example, they do those motif moments that basically take over a full production score and it and it's so much better accented because of the fact you've got these these crazy big pieces for other areas of the film right and when they do it here i agree those little motifs do have more effect i think than some of the bigger you know pieces of score or soundtrack that appear um but yeah i mean honestly for me i watching the film with this lens i just went yeah i could watch this movie without it and be just as happy so you know and i think but that's fine that's fine that you know maybe the movie did have more score pieces because the original movie was three hours long yep and they felt like it was too long and they cut it down and they cut it down again so uh there might have been more score pieces throughout the movie that they didn't utilize because of the length of the film when they started doing their screening so you know maybe we just got a glimpse of you know what was left after they cut it down because you know uh, at the very end, you'll see John Candy and he looks like he's got a bruise on his face and he's got a bruise yeah. on his eye, you know, and you're yeah. like, well, I know that must have been a cut scene because we didn't see uh, anywhere where he fell on his face or he got hit. And when I was looking at trivia, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, he got punched in the face because he told um, he told uh, Steve Martin's character that he didn't have any rental insurance on the car that he rented, you know, under <laughs> after, Steve after Martin's name up. after it burned up. Yep. So Steve Martin punched him in the face. Well, we didn't see that. We just saw the scene with him that had a bruise, you know, on his face. So, you know, maybe <laughs> the movie had more score in it than what we heard. All right. So with that being said, um, sorry, Mark, three to one. <laughs> oh, are you going to rub that that's in? Fine. That's not so, nice. All right. So, all right. Mm-hmm. So basically what we're saying is, you know, some of us uh, agree that the score could have not been there. Some of us agree that the score worked just fine. Now, what about the soundtrack? Now, because there was more soundtrack than there was score. In my opinion, I think what soundtrack was placed in there, I, I think it was placed in there perfectly. I, I, I really don't think there there was a moment in there where I'm like, oh, man, why'd they pick that song? I mean, like when you get the Ray Charles um, song in there when John Candy's playing it on the dash and he's smoking the cigarette mm-hmm. and everything else. And then you get the like I mentioned ever uh, earlier the the Red River Rock song, and it's the you know it's basically a train planes trains and automobiles version of the song, mm-hmm. and that that works. So they bring that in there a couple of times in the film, and, and it works every time. There's a placement of s- soundtrack in there. It works in in my opinion. Now, Leslie, 
well, I just mentioned it with, you know, when I was talking about whether the score worked, it was kind of intermingled with the score. So there were pieces that sounded, you know, very score-like. And I think in that element, because they've blended the two so well that it worked fine, uh, you know, because I had to sit there and think about it as I was watching the movie. Is this a score piece or is this the soundtrack? And then when, the more it played, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that's the soundtrack. So, I mean, I think that it, it worked fine. And, you know, John Hughes is a master of trying to emoke, you know, evoke uh, emotion through uh, soundtracks. So, I, you know, John Hughes was good at it anyway. Yeah, because so. look at the, the Breakfast Club. Yeah. Yeah. All right, yeah. Mark? Yeah, and I was going to say that the soundtrack to me, um, while I didn't have any issue with it, it did feel like, a, a couple that shares a Facebook account, you know, like I, <laughs> I, 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 thought, I thought the soundtrack has been called like Steve Rebecca Smith because <laughs> it, 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 it did. It, yeah. It, it did feel like a, a score at certain points. And um, when it didn't, it encapsulated, like I mentioned before that, that, you know, mid to late eighties feel, but like you mentioned the blues uh, songs that kind of show up in there. Um, I, I just have to wonder who, who made that call? It's not like it was bad. I, I think the the blues um, songs that show up and some of these these shorter you know pieces that go with it, um, I, I think they they do work. So for me, I, I when I was coming into this, I was thinking, yeah, the score I didn't really feel attached to, but the soundtrack I thought was enough of what we needed. And so yeah, that's why it's like, yeah, I'm. I'm going to be the confusing one tonight, everybody. I apologize. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I thought the soundtrack was there. The score probably, you know, didn't need to be just because of that balance. So yeah, that's where I was at with it. And, and like with, with the Ray Charles song, Mess Around, I mean, that that had to be a very conscious decision from the from very early on because John Candy, if you look, he's actually mouthing the lyrics. He's, he's actually singing it right along with Ray Charles as he's singing it. So that had to be like, all right, for... You know, definitely, we got to have Ray Charles for this. We got to have this song right here. We got to have Mess Around. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, the whole thing with, you know, Elton John and Paramount, I wonder how much clearance they had to go through or how much pushback they got from Paramount with it, with that one sequence. So, all right, Joe. So, what yeah. do you think, man? I'm now the odd person out <laughs> <laughs> because this is one where, like, um, I think it worked. It worked really well for um, John Candy's, like, uh, Ray Charles scene. It worked really well there. But I feel like while the score's job in a movie is to really suck you in and pull you into the story, the soundtrack's job should be to like hype you up and just get you to enjoy the movie. And I feel like so many of like the 80s comedies and even 80s action movies, 80s, all the 80s movies, like they tend to have like a standout, like promotionally huge, like soundtrack song, something that's like, like Footloose had Footloose. Um, uh, yeah. Top Gun had Danger Zone because we're going to keep Kenny Loggins going for the rest of this conversation. <laughs> um, and I feel like this movie just didn't have that. Like the soundtrack was there. At times it just kind of like, I don't know, tried to disguise itself as score. And so it, it helped the score out, but it didn't have like fun promotional buzz. If that's a weird way of saying anything. But like it didn't get me excited for the movie other than like I got to laugh with um, the car scene uh, with John Candy, who's not paying attention to the road (laughs) at all. Um, So this is one where I think like, I don't know, 
I could have used some kiss on the rose, uh, kiss from rose or something here, and I just didn't get that. Or or some on our own by you know Bobby Brown. I yeah, mean, where's that? <laughs> and, and 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 that is kind of. But okay, so Joe, you and I are agreeing for different reasons at different points in this conversation. Like early <laughs> early on, I was saying that about mm-hmm. this film that like I. I love this film. I'm a big eighties fan, but like, I never look back to a specific song on this and go, yep, that's playing trains and automobiles. But as Joe mentioned, yeah, there are so many soundtracks that came out in like the corresponding time that, yeah, you immediately like one song you can tie directly to a, you know, to a movie. And yeah, Ray Charles, I'm sure most people will probably go like, yeah, Mark's an idiot. Cause Ray Charles was like, not just an independent artist, (laughs) but but no, I, I, I do agree with that to an extent, but like having listened to the soundtrack of this, because Chris actually, you sent it to me. So like mm-hmm. I, I went through it and listened to the whole thing. I, I wasn't having a bad time. So <laughs> it's just that it doesn't have like a power ballad on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's basically it. No. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So it's a good band without a lead singer. Yeah, yeah, I think that yeah. the looking at the, the soundtrack, the biggest song on here is Every Time You Go Away. Yep. And you yep. wouldn't associate that song really with planes, trains, and automobiles. It's mm-hmm. not like, as you you mentioned, Danger Zone. You know, Kenny Loggins did a lot of those rock ballad, uh, you know, yeah. songs for those movies in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Or it's not like uh, John Hughes, you know, he did um, The Breakfast Club, so don't you forget oh. about me. Yeah. You know, that, mm-hmm. you know, when you hear that song, you immediately think of Breakfast Club. When you think mm-hmm. about every time you go away, I don't think of planes, trains, and automobiles. No. Not at all. Especially like, that, isn't that moved at the, used at the very end of the movie? Yeah. Like when he's finally home. And even then, like, I don't know, like, like, like Breakfast Club, you bring up um, the, 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 the big hit song that's used at the end of that movie. I feel like it perfectly fits in with like the theme of the, the, the kids in that movie. And it just pulls the whole thing together so well at the end. Whereas this is like, well, yeah, like he's been trying to get home the whole time. I feel like he's also been trying to survive the whole yeah, time. The so. relationship with his wife is absolutely there's no Perfect. there's no importance there's yeah. no importance placed on it other than like yeah he's got kids and a, and a wife that misses <laughs> he's him. He's supposed to get home, yeah. And then we've got no mention of it the entire and if, and Leslie, like you mentioned, if this was a three hour movie and maybe he actually shows some anguish over this, then maybe that song hits a little bit harder at the end because you're like, wow there's been a lot of growth and a lot of struggle here that we, we have full context of, but we don't. And so that, that song at the end just falls flat because yeah, you're like, well, he made it home, but you know, she's given him the look. Yeah. That's what Chris was saying. Mm-hmm. At yeah. the end, he's like, like, I just never understood his wife's reaction when she, you I, know, cause I, she I stood never... at the top of the stairs, making this face at him. Yeah. And she, it's, it's, uh, it's almost like a, a sight of anger mixed with you know happiness Affection and, and i'm something. going yeah I, I even to this day when we watched i mean we just watched the film yesterday and we were sitting there I'm, i was like i still don't understand it and then when we find out that the film is actually a lot longer maybe there was a reason maybe there you know was a whole storyline thing in there so that i i would love to see the the full yeah, release the the John Hughes cut. You know, everybody was yes. going to release the Snyder cut. Let's release the Hughes cut of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And who knows? It make it, it could be one of those things where there was a reason why the film was cut. <laughs> I mean, oh, because, maybe. Yeah, maybe. I mean, because the film is pretty pretty hilarious. Yeah, he it said is. he used mm-hmm. the insane uh, length uh, of film to to film it. I can't. It was like three hundred thousand or six hundred thousand uh, feet of film or Good some Lord. some weird Oof. insane number. Yeah, that's yeah, like the small intestine right there. Yeah. 
I was going to say, we need to see the universe version of this. Uh, <laughs> the universe. Okay. That's yeah. our new term. Yes. Just the universe. 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 It's vast, and there's so many classics within it that this one yeah. is a classic <laughs> with mm-hmm. what they kept. But, man, I, I would love to see what the rest of the context is. I mean, hell, Joe and I sat through the Snyderverse or the Snyder cut, <laughs> cut and yeah. that oh. was like a blink of an eye. And all of a sudden I've used four hours of my day. Yep. I can't imagine what this would be like. I'm no, sure although, there's going to be something. Funny. Although the universe definitely sounds like Jeff Goldblum trying to pronounce universe. And like, yeah, imagine him talking to like John Hughes behind the scenes. He's like, yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 yeah. Is this the universe? Yes. Is this the, Universe? <laughs> Are you trying to say universe? No, no. The, the hu- universe. Hu- universe. <laughs> See, yes. Chris Leslie, the marketing writes itself. Like, <laughs> I'm surprised that no one thought of this. It's gold. It's gold. It's so gold. It's gold bloom. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. All right. So, all right. So, favorite scene, favorite score. Mark, I'll let you go first. Uh, so for me, it it all revolved around that hotel room, which is why I'm so happy that that we focused on this so much. You guys yep. already talked about the accents with the bed and like focusing on the fact that <laughs> that is one bed for two men and that won't fit on it. Like, wow. All right. I think that bed so, can barely fit John Candy on there. Oh, I know. <laughs> I was going to say, if one person adjusts on that bed, the other person has to as well. There's Oof. no... There's no singular. You both there. feel that. Jettison yeah. off yeah. the bed. Is that your wallet? Yeah. Oh wait, no. <laughs> yeah. It's like, where's your other hand? Between two pillows. Oh, And that's the thing. We watched this on DVD, and the the edition that I have is the those aren't pillows edition. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I, seriously that that when i think about this movie that's that is the first thing i think of is the the ear nibbling as you mentioned chris that you picked up on <laughs> you know I, I i i could see a snapshot of this movie and uh i would laugh at that every time and then so for me like the just the the, the slight bit of score that was there i think sums up the movie perfectly and then for me, the scene is the, of course, the bathroom scene is as, <laughs> uh, as, as much as I, like, it makes me wriggle to see him put a, a barefoot to a wet floor. There is no worse feeling. It doesn't matter what oh, context man. you're stepping into. You it like is the worst in wet. ever. That's right. Especially yes. roadside motel. Like, uh, tile floor. Oh, oh. Uh. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Nope. It's like, no, 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 nope, nope, nope. It's like dropping any food in a piece of sand. You will never get that food back. Sorry, guys. Ten second rule does not work. No, yeah. no. <laughs> and, and the whole list of ten second rules at the very bottom is it's got an asterisk and it says uh, does not apply for sand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. All right. Yep. So that that's Joe, it. That does it for me. Those were it. Those are the two. Joe, what was your favorite scene or favorite score piece? Uh, or, or, soundtrack, piece. Or, or soundtrack in this case. Sorry, or soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, no. Um, definitely favorite score piece is the um, the uh, the synth from the Rush Hour scene. Because okay. um, definitely, like when I feel like you hear that and you feel like you're listening to the heartbeat of the country in the 1980s. It is mm. just that is America. That is what we have in our movies, and it's what's in our clubs, and it's everywhere. So. Yeah. That is just a timepiece for me. Listening to that 
whenever I get that 80 synth. It's the same thing like when, you, when the Stranger Themes theme song comes on. I'm like, oh, wow, my childhood. That's Fantastic. right. Fantastic. Yep. Makes you feel um, great. It does. It really does. So that's easy. Uh, favorite score piece. Favorite scene is uh, definitely um, John Candy selling the shower rings, shower curtain rings, <laughs> as anything but shower curtain rings. <laughs> these are your Daryl Strawberry autograph shower curtains. Or, <laughs> or things like, like, can't they see that no one is like autographed them? Like that should be a dead giveaway right away. And also thinking like, did they just like tell John Candy like, here's here's what the scene is? That, that's what the uh, that's really what it looks like. It looks like they yeah. just had the camera rolling. Is it here? Go. Yep. He's, yeah. he, then you have like he's like these are filled with helium, so they're really light. Just <laughs> <laughs> like, like they could just be filled with nothing and they'd be fine. <laughs> or like it, it, the whole sequence, the whole sequence right there ends with him you know, with these three girls. You know, you know, you look really, you know, older. Dare I say, you know, 18, 21, 18, 21. and they're like hand him the More money. Cash. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, there's some trivia with that. They said if you look back at the scene where, you know, he, he finished selling the rings and they're sitting down mm-hmm. at the diner and they're eating, they said if you look, you can see the waitress has got him on his earrings. And yeah. in the background, you got a few other people with on his earrings. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the glory of the universe. Yeah. Yes. And all of its attention to detail. <laughs> Which right. I, I will say for one second, this is like a big dividing line between modern comedies and older ones because mm-hmm. when you have improvisation that occurs if it did here it feels natural versus yep. feeling like a joke that was recorded a hundred times and they took the best one mm-hmm. i mean it, it I, I just agree it felt so natural to me leslie what was your favorite scenes score soundtrack scene so i liked uh in the score you know we only got two main pieces uh, I like the fact that some of the comedy elements, he, he sounds almost Looney Tune-ish. It kind of reminds me of cartoons. I, t- I pointed that out to Chris because there was one where it's just a bunch of woodwinds. And I'm like, this, you know, is really reminiscent of, you know, like the Roadrunner trying to run away from <laughs> Wile E. Coyote. Yeah. You know, it's very, very comedic. And I really liked that um, because it kind of, to me, amped up this this, you know, uh, relationship between these two characters. It's, I mean, it's like the ultimate odd couple. But then, yeah. you know, my favorite scene is when the car catches on fire. So you see it build, you know, you see him throw the cigarette and it bounces off the window and it goes into the back seat. And you sit there and you're arguing and you start seeing smoke. I mean, if you watch real closely, you start seeing smoke kind of in the background. And it's not obviously on fire yet. And, you know, then they had that accident uh, where they, you know, they squeeze between the two trucks, you know, and there's a lot of screaming, and then he takes his fingers out of the dashboard, you know. But then they, there's a scene where they get out, and he helps them get the trunk out of the road, and they sit on the trunk, and in the background, all of a sudden, you see the light from where the car catches on fire <laughs> on their backs. <laughs> and they turn around, and the car's burning. And to me, that was just absolutely hilarious because it didn't happen at once. It took, you know... It took it a little bit of length of time to happen. And you and you start seeing these little subtle nuances, mm-hmm. you know, of all these events of this car actually catching on fire. And they didn't even you know, realize <laughs> that there was something wrong because mm-hmm. they had these other things that they had to face. So to me, that was my favorite scene. Yeah, it reminded me of like, uh, like the deer and Tommy boy. Yes. Oh, like, yes. All right. Yes. As soon as they watch them, like, this is probably like, some inspiration for the deer scene in Tommy Boy. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, another film that, because um, I recently had never seen it before, uh, Due Date with Robert Downey Jr. and Zach 
Yeah. Del- oh, Del- yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, which that film is basically almost a remake of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles for the modern age. But they mm-hmm. just didn't call it Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Uh, my favorite score piece is, I mean, it's very subtle. And I mentioned it earlier. It's the scene where they see the bed. It's that one little percussion hit. Because mm-hmm. it, it just sells it home right then and there. That what's fixing to happen. You're like, oh, <laughs> there, there's one bed. It's, yeah. But I mean, like I said, it's it's a quick what two not even yeah, a second seconds, like a, yeah. you know I'm gonna say a second, but it was my favorite moment because it was it just sells at home right in there. My favorite scene though is right after they squeeze in between the two trucks and they got their fingers embedded into the dash <laughs> yeah. and John Candy has bent the steering wheel back. <laughs> it was just Black. like wow, oh. holy crap, dude! And then Steve, they're just like. You know, picking their their finger, you know, the fingers out of the dash, and all, it just made me laugh every time. I was like, that had to have been intense. <laughs> all right, so the last criteria we have overall, what could have been done differently? Uh, I'm gonna let uh, Joe go first. Um, could have been done differently. I don't know. Maybe I know we've been saying this whole time, like. They let the comedy and like the actors really carry and do the heavy lifting for this movie. But I don't know. I think we could have used some more music, some something ambient in the background. Um, I could use a little more score for it. Like I again, agree. like yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it would have like. I, I still love the movie. It's a classic. But like, yeah, I think it could have benefited from having having some more music in it. Mark. Yeah, we we alluded to this a little bit ago. I think for me, it's the fact that the relationship between you know husband and wife isn't really on display at all. And I think there was a place for it in the very beginning when he's sitting in the boardroom and they're pitching the marketing piece, and you know they're they're both just kind of going, you know, well, I need to make this flight, and there's no way I'm going to make it. And I, I get that Steve Martin's character is supposed to be you know somewhat selfish, right? But I felt like his selfishness and the way that he kind of held himself was because of John Candy's character, right? Like that's why he behaved the way he did. So I don't know. I think the the exploration into his marriage, missing his kids, you know, these these things that just they're not there. Like they don't exist. Yeah, it kind <laughs> of feels all. empty. It feels kind of empty. You got this fellow, he's got children. You really didn't see happy to see his children, even though he kind of said that he was happy and then you saw how his wife reacted and then she seemed happy that he was home and you're like this is an odd relationship yeah, yeah I understand and, then, and then more universe uh real quick uh, steve martin's partner <laughs> that he's talking to the boardroom is the dad from ferris bueller yeah yeah oh okay yeah yeah all right so leslie what overall what could have been done differently? you know i agree with joe i think there could have been a little bit more score or soundtrack um, especially in the scene where he goes off on, you know, to, for the car, you know, he drops the F-bomb. I can't remember how many times. <laughs> it's recorded somewhere how many times he said it. Uh, but I think that even when he's glaring at her, you could have had something mm-hmm. in the background where he's, because you can tell sharp. this anger is yeah. building mm-hmm. and there's nothing there to denote that. And, you know, the, even the, the scene before that with him walking across the tarmac to get to the place to talk to the lady on, you know, that was talking about her Thanksgiving dinner on the phone. There was nothing there. You see him falling mm-hmm. down. You see him hitting the pavement. You know, <laughs> I, I felt like they could have added something there to add to that because mm-hmm. he's been brewing angrily. You could tell this whole time 
from when he notices his car's missing to to walking that distance. So uh, I feel like there could have been a little bit more score. Oh boy, I'm gonna be the odd one out for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think everything was placed perfectly. I mean, and I I wouldn't say perfectly, but I think it was placed well enough. Maybe it's the nostalgia for me because I I've watched the film so many different times. I I think everything that was in there, I think it works. Yes, there could have been maybe a, just a little bit more score. I I will give you guys that. But overall, I think I think everything was was put in there well placed. So this is the one time where there's been an instance for every criteria where you know not everybody's agreed on everything. Wow, that's a first. Well, for this we podcast. all view things differently, mm-hmm. and you know the, this movie means different things for us. We were around the same age when it came out. So, you know, we remember things differently. And then when we watch it as an adult, uh, you know, we, we start picking up on those little, little things we didn't as kids, like the, yeah. you know, the, the rings and the puddle, you know, you didn't see that or the name, <laughs> you know, you didn't realize that he's the one that tripped over uh, Dell's chest there at the beginning. Or, I mean, he's been there mm-hmm. since the beginning. Dale's, yeah. Or Dale's name spells out doll. Yeah, I mean, you know, stuff. You know. <laughs> I, as a kid, I aspired to say the the F word 18 <laughs> times in 40 seconds. Like that, that, that was what I paid attention to. But it, for people that hadn't seen the movie before and you see that it's rated R yeah. and you're going, what? How is this movie it's rated R? And then you get that, that one scene. That one, that one scene. scene does the whole thing. <laughs> it was awesome. One scene I, does I it. I love that scene. All right, so in the spirit of Plain Strange and Bill, since there was a in-credits scene, we're going to have an in-credits scene for the podcast. We're going to have the future of Plain Strange and Bill's after the credits. So real quick, guys, tell us where can we find Digital Dissection? Oh, perfect. Uh, I can take this one. So... Uh, our handle is at digital dissect one. If you type it into most social media, that'll bring us up. Um, our search engine optimization is pretty good right now for digital dissection podcast. So if you, if you put that into search engines, you'll find uh, all of our stuff there. Uh, but we do also have the digital dissection blog, which we were too cheap to purchase a URL for. So I think it's still technically on WordPress. So, yep. you know, you know, you'll, you'll figure it out if you get there. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah that's yep. that's how you'll find us and i uh, definitely uh listeners go check these guys out i mean not just for us just just go just go listen because they got a ton of great content and go you know review them on apple uh basically wherever you can leave a review and um after you leave them one uh leave us one too <laughs> I saw what you did there. And always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, just type in Measuring the Score podcast or just type in Measuring the Score and you can find us on there. I'm normally on Twitter. Uh, you can find Leslie on Facebook or I'm on Instagram as well. You can send us an email. I mean, we, we love emails. Measuring the score at gmail.com. And, you know, if you guys got a re- idea for a score you want us to listen to, if you've got a score yourself, if you're a composer and you want to come on to the show or just have us talk about your score in the film, just let us know. We would love to hear from you guys. And, you know, we've, we've got a ton of great content coming up. Like I said, this is one of our bonus episodes. And our next episode after this is The Nightmare Before Christmas with the Nostalgia Test podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Danny Manny, those guys are, you know, 
Those guys are great. They're hilarious as well. And it's going to be a fun episode because, I mean, just it's Nightmare Before Christmas. Danny Elfman. And I mean, Danny Elfman. Mm. Uh, man, come on. That, that score They're going to be so much more fun than we were for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. We love y'all. We are, we are a bore. Oh. You know. <laughs> we love y'all. I mean, if you, if you look up Borish in the dictionary, y'all, we're going to be right next to it. So, it's, I, it's oh, just... I thought Borish was a soup. Wait a minute. That's, <laughs> no, that's Borscht. Borscht. Yeah, Borscht. 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 We, Borscht. We might be there, too. We could be there. Yeah, Who look knows? Up, yeah, yeah. Look up Borscht. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, as always, thank you. Th- uh, Mark, Joe, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. Seriously. Absolutely. I mean, it, Thanks it for a, having us. It was us. an absolute blast. It really was. And as always, for Measuring the Score, I'm Chris. And I'm Leslie. Have a good one. And this is our... In credits, spoiler. So, the future of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Real quick, there is a remake plan with Ooh. Will Smith and Kevin Hart. I'll watch that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I like those two. They're fun. Yeah, I wish it. Like Leslie said, I wish it was Kevin Hart in The Rock. Yeah, I think that. Uh, oh my gosh! Yeah, my mind, my mind went to the same place. I was yeah, like, why not put those guys in? But, but at the same time. I I think using Will Smith's range is probably going to give us a little bit more than using The Rock's range. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, Will Smith is pretty funny, uh, but I don't know. I mean, yeah. The Rock is hilarious in, in his yeah. own right, I, and and that would be such an odd couple moment having The Rock and Kevin Hart. I mean, come on. I mean, so sorry. Let, I mean, let's, let's back and forth say, on Twitter alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's well, just well, say well, okay. The Rock would be the business type. Or, or you could have it flip flop. Have Kevin Hart as the uptight business type, and then The Rock is the Dale Griffith character. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I see that. I, I think it would have worked if it was before all of the stuff that they did already, right? Like if if The Rock and Kevin Hart had like just met or something, or they yeah. just started working together, then I think that could have worked better. Yeah. But knowing how those guys kind of play off each other now, um, you would I don't expect know. it. You would expect mm-hmm. it. Yeah, yeah, you'd expect it. Now, Although, yeah. There, there hasn't been much chatter on the film uh, as last check. I mean, I, I just found this out like well, it was like uh, the start of the pandemic. I want to say because uh, they also announced that Kevin Hart's going to be in the remake of The Great Outdoors as well. Yeah, I know and John Candy Goody. I love mm-hmm. that movie. Yeah, great movie. I do. So, but there hasn't been any new information about it. So I'm not even sure if the film is even still happening. But I do know when uh-huh. it was announced that Kevin Hart and both Will Smith, you know, announced it on their social media platforms. And I was like, I, at first I was kind of, like, I was kind of like Leslie. I'm like, uh, more reboots. Yeah. yeah. More remakes, more reboots. But I, I hope they don't turn this into uh, one, of, one of these things where they oversimplify something and then mm-hmm. slam it into your face or slam it home. I hope they keep the genius that the universe has. Yeah, the layers. <laughs> all the layers. Uh, no, in, in all mm-hmm. serious, no, I really do hope they keep the layers. And I hope that he keep the genius that John Hughes had for Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yeah, I yeah. I hope that the movie will finally get what I've been wanting out of it with Will Smith being in it. And even though he hasn't done it in a while, and that is to drop a bomb hip hop album or song <laughs> made explicitly yep. for that movie. Right. <laughs> and that <laughs> that is what we need for planes, trains, and automobiles is, is his wild, wild west yes. <laughs> that, that movie. It's not really a bad song. Yeah. I was in Germany when it came out. So, you know, everybody's like, oh, it's Will Smith's new song. And I'm like, yeah, this is kind of cool, you know.
Yeah. All right. So that was our that was our in credits uh, spoiler or in credit sequence for planes, trains, and automobiles. Uh, (laughs) You guys got anything else before we before we completely close it out? Uh, I do want to apologize. I I said hell earlier. I should have said heck. heck. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're gonna have to go back and edit that, Chris. That's okay. I, it's it, I'll, I'll it leave was it. the pumpkin spice latte. You know, you know alcohol. I'm, talking. Just just for you guys, I'm gonna leave that one in there. Yeah, <laughs> everyone gets one. Yeah. <laughs> oh hell. <laughs>